thank you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland, the director of Kids Central TN. On this episode of Roots and Wings, we're going to discuss how infant mental health has been impacted by the global pandemic and how stress may impact a family's ability to provide those nurturing relationships during a child's crucial development time. Jen Drake Croft is the director of child well-being and works with me here at the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. Jen, thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings today. Thank you for having me. And this is, you know, as I mentioned to our listeners just now, we do work together at the commission, but you have a very critical role at the commission. And among your roles as the director of the child well-being, many of your listeners or many of our listeners, I should say, may recognize your name or your voice from the Building Strong Brains training for trainers that you've done across the state and most recently in a very virtual setting. So my first question, Jen, is how has the virtual world impacted your work with Building Strong Brains Tennessee? That's a great question. And what I would suspect is that it's the same answer that almost everybody would provide you. Um, We have had to be quick on our feet and thinking about how we continue to advance and a very important movement like Building Strong Brains Tennessee without being able to conduct in-person training, uh, which is one of our key ways of um, supporting knowledge mobilization across the state without having in-person meetings um, where we, you know, work to advance the effort on both a a statewide level and on a local level. Um, And one of the very first things that was impacted was uh, we were planning on having an in-person conference. So um, we adapted that in-person conference to be a four-month-long lunch and learn series instead of a two-day intensive conference. Um, You know, in some ways that is Um, less than ideal because there's a benefit to being in the same room with people and having those water cooler chats, you know, and networking opportunities. But in another way, what we've seen is we've been able to attract individuals who um, are very passionate about the work, but may not have the budgets to drive to Nashville or another part of the state. So um, many of the events that we had had over 250 people in attendance. Um, Furthermore, we were able to record those events and put them on our YouTube page. So if if folks, uh, listeners haven't checked out our YouTube page, it has a lot of resources that that I think you'll find helpful. Um, But many of those have almost a thousand views. Um, So so it's been a a plus and a minus, um, you know, being in this virtual world. Um, And now, you know, you mentioned that I support our training for trainers effort along with our coworker, Melissa McGee, and uh, we've had to adapt our training for trainers work um, to be on a virtual platform. And that will begin actually uh, tomorrow. (laughs) So we will see how that goes. Right, right. Um, Yeah, we're doing the best we can. You know, and and you do mention a good point, Jen. It's like while everyone is definitely having to adapt to a virtual world, it's it's almost it's a it's a blessing in disguise in a way that your your reach might be just a little bit more because more people, as you mentioned, if they didn't have the budget to travel to Middle Tennessee or wherever you were going to be, they at least can log on or and or find these videos on YouTube. Which exactly, if they were going to go on YouTube, what can they type in to find these videos quickly? 
Absolutely. So if you look up um, Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth, it should bring you right to our YouTube channel. And then we have curated some playlists. So all of the Building Strong Brains related webinars are under our Building Strong Brains playlist. Um, We also have a Building Strong Brains Lunch and Learn series that captures all of those webinars that were specific uh, to that Lunch and Learn. Perfect. Thank you so much for explaining that, Jen. And if you wouldn't mind as well, can you explain this? Why is it that infant mental health is so important in creating a solid foundation for not only their future health, but also their future well-being as well? Yeah. So uh, infant mental health is one of those terms that um, I don't love to be completely honest because it sounds like um, a problem that someone created. They're thinking babies on a couch getting psychotherapy. Um, (laughs) When in reality, what it is referring to is it's referring to um, the serve and return relationships that are so important for supporting the development of strong brain architecture. Um, and the development of healthy systems, you know, uh, in your body, whether it be your cardiovascular system or your um, your immune system, right? All of these systems that support future, literally, future physical health and future mental health, and the opportunity for children to um, not only survive but thrive and reach their full potential. So much of that is influenced by the the presence of safe, stable, nurturing relationships and environments in the earliest years of life. And so we all have mental health. Uh, Many of us, when we hear the words mental health, we think of mental health problems, Um, but all of us have mental health for better or for worse. And what we want is we want positive mental health for infants and toddlers and these these back and forth relationships that are crucial for developing a lot of the brain volume that we see present in the earliest years of life. Most folks don't realize that um, almost 90% of brain volume is developed by the age of three. And so while we don't finish our brain development until our mid-20s, those first three years of life have so much to do with how the next 80 turn out. Well put, well put, Jen. And it kind of makes me think back a couple summers ago when DJ Pryor from Clarksville, he's the, if our listeners kind of remember him, he's the one that went viral across the world, really. Um, But he had that really cute back and forth serve and return with his toddler son as they were just babbling or his son was babbling about whatever they were watching on TV. It's one of the cutest exchanges, but it went viral for all the right reasons. And I know since then, uh, DJ Pryor has now been on his own serve and return ambassador. Um, so we're so so happy. (laughs) Another good thing from Tennessee. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned in regards to just this, the kind of the stigma that goes with the words mental health period, um, especially with the serve and return and those developing years and just how, how important those interactions are. Now this past year, Jen, however, has been extremely stressful for most families. Do you have concerns that a family's increased stress during this past year or during this global pandemic may impact a family's ability to actually provide those nurturing relationships and those serving return moments? Absolutely, I do. Um, we know from previous research that when families are overloaded with stress, it's difficult to be involved in this very 
demanding um, an active game of back and forth interactions with babies and young children, um, as well as older children, right? Older children still need those those server return interactions as well. Um, But those earliest years of life, because so much brain development is happening um, and because there's so much dependence on the caregivers um, that they have access to, the lack of those back and forth opportunities, almost like a game of volleyball or a game of tennis where the baby's serving and the adults returning, um, the lack of those can have profound impacts on brain development and body development. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, I use this term serve and return, and I, I want to take a moment to describe what that looks like, John Cool. Mm-hmm. It truly is, you know, a baby smiling at you or babbling, you know, to you or crying, right? And it is the adult picking up on the cue and responding to the child. And all kinds of neural circuitry is being formed through these back and forth interactions. Actually, in the first three years of life, one million new neural circuits or neural connections, not neural circuits, are being formed every single second. So every single second really counts. Um, But it looks like a game of peekaboo. Right. Or it looks like um, hearing your baby, you know, watching your baby point to something and kind of whine and say, oh, are you hungry? Do you do you want that banana? Right. If they're an older baby Um, and those kinds of things. And so it's the it's the things that we do in healthy relationships with babies and, and toddlers naturally. However, when parents are, as I said before, overloaded with stress um, and worrying about how to um, maybe put the next meal on the table or who's going to watch their child because they're an essential worker and, you know, they can't afford childcare or there are not childcare spots available, right? Um, then a lot of times those serve and return interactions often take uh, a little bit of a, they're put on the back burner a bit. Um, and by no fault of the parents, you know, or the caregivers, um, that it's just a natural thing that when we're stressed out, we're less um, attuned, we're less um, snugly, you know, and, um, and connected in that way. And so I, I see, you know, there's, there's been a description of this pandemic as being we're all in the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're all in the storm, but we all have very different boats <laughs> that we are, you know, in this storm with. And so for, for some of us that are on a well-made ship that is is, is built to withstand a storm, it's going to be stressful, but we're going to be okay. But for so many of these families um, where there was already considerable stress, and now there's so much instability, whether it be economic instability, childcare instability, et cetera, um, you know, changing shifts at work, um, that is just so much um, additional um, strain and stress that uh, it absolutely is going to impact the quality of those back and forth relationships. If you've ever been around a small child or an infant, you know that you have to take care of yourself, that you uh, that it takes a lot of energy and work um, to to be the nurturing caregiver you want to be. Um, and so when we're considering these additional, um, uh, you know, 
events that are taxing to families, uh, we know that it will have an impact. Yeah. And thank you so much for explaining that so eloquently, Jen. Um, And in regards to just the parents and the stress and, you know, some folks and families might just feel like they're, they're keeping their head above water for lack of better words. And we've all heard the saying, well, it takes a village, right? It takes a village. Um, And, but it truly does folks. It really does. It's like, can you talk Jen a little bit about the importance of just community support as children, especially young children grow through these critical development years? Absolutely. Um, I don't think that you would meet uh, a parent or caregiver, (laughs) primary caregiver, I should say, that um, would not just talk about the importance of having other adults to support them. Um, I'm (laughs) going to give a quick little anecdote about myself when I was a new mom. And, you know, guys, I study this. I do this for a living. (laughs) And I have access to resources. But I remember being so sleep deprived that I couldn't remember how to get the car seat out of the car. And I just remember having a a fellow mama, you know, fellow friend just say, you know, we're going to figure this out together. (laughs) It was just (laughs) such a profound, you know. Just that one um, little moment. (laughs) That's right. And I had a million more like them, right? Um, And and so, you know, having that that support, whether it be emotional support, whether it be a, a, a community that can provide childcare for your child, um, you know, be there in an emergency if one of your children has to go to the emergency room, you know, and the other one needs to be cared for. Um, those kinds of resources and supports, both formal and informal, cannot be overstated. Um, and yet what we know is that so many families do not have um, that community presence. Furthermore, we know from a lot, decades of research really, that the environment that you grow up in, the environment that your family is in, has profound effects on the way in which you grow up um, and the, the sort of health you have as a child and as an adult. And so when we think about our role as members of the community, we all have a role to play in ensuring that children um, develop well because families cannot do it alone. It's impossible to do it alone. Um, you cannot, you know, if you think about the, your, your village as a caregiver, you might think about not only childcare, um, you might also think about your parents or your neighbors or friends. You would, might also think about your pediatrician, right? Um, that's a part of your village. Um, as well as having access to nutritious foods at a local grocery store. Um, And so without these things, it'd be a lot harder for us as caregivers to provide the kind of environment and quality care we would want to give our children. And so, um, you know, I jokingly tell people that even if you don't like kids, um, you care about something that is related to children developing well in those earliest years of life, whether it is, um, you know, your local economy, whether it is the safety in your community for your for yourself and your family, all of these things are connected to creating a healthy foundation in childhood. Um, And so the sorts of things that we support in terms of where our tax dollars go, for example, and supporting our local schools and, you know, 
um, supporting access to high quality, affordable childcare, ensuring that uh, parents and families have access to health care and have access to nutritious foods. All of these are pieces of the community. You know, if you're a local church, bringing um, a, a casserole to a new family and maybe offering to do their dishes for them when it's safe to go inside people's homes right, without right. risk of this pandemic. All of these things are ways in which we can step up as a community and contribute and be a part of the village. Thank you so much for explaining that, Jen. And if, if I may, I'd like to put in a little plug for Kids Central TN because for these families, um, if they if they are looking for resources, kidscentraltn.com is a great place to do that. And speaking of which, there are several articles on there right now, um, specifically kind of surrounding how the, this pandemic is impacting both children and families. Uh, and we have one specific article on Kids Central TN right now that kind of just talks about how to build resiliency in children and families during this time. And, and we kind of know at this point, if anything good comes out of this, out of the global pandemic, it could be that the opportunity to build resiliency uh, within children and families. But why is that so important important to develop resiliency in young children, Jen? Absolutely. Yes. This is an excellent question. And um, it's a concept that's pretty misunderstood um, by our society. We often think that resiliency is something you're born with or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And what what science shows us is that you can think about resiliency as being like a teeter-potter or a scale where positive experiences load one side, provide weight on one side, and negative experiences provide weight on the other side. And when you think about a teeter-totter, there's also uh, the, the scales tipping point, right? That goes one way or the other. And we can think about that as being like a child's biology, right? So we have children that are born with different temperaments, some children more sensitive to stress, some children less sensitive to stress. And so if you're more sensitive to stress, then it's going to move that tipping point in a way where it makes it easier for the teeter-totter or scale to tip towards negative outcomes. And and vice versa, if you're less sensitive to stress, it's going to be easier to tip for positive outcomes. What's really exciting in the earliest years of life is that depending on the kinds of experiences we have, we have the opportunity to move that scale's tipping point. Uh, for better or for worse, right? So if you have a child who is naturally um, pretty uh I guess, internally resilient to stress, but they experience lots and lots of hardship, biologically, they're going to be more wired um, to be sensitive to stress to, for, as a survival technique. And so that, that fulcrum or that tipping point will move in a way that is less advantageous, advantageous to supporting resilience across the lifespan. Um, however, in those earliest years of life, with these nurturing serve and return interactions, these back and forth interactions, um, where we are responding to the need of children and teaching them, um, you know, what uh, the sun is or what a tree is and that kind of stuff, because we're describing and narrating the world around them. Um, these sorts of things can move that fulcrum to a more advantageous spot, uh, building that internal resilience. Right now in this pandemic, um, as I said before, 
every family is experiencing um, more stress than normal. Um, However, with families that have adequate resources, some of them are actually able to maybe engage in more of these server return interactions with their children um, because we're at home all the time together. (laughs) And so if if you have a family that's well supported and not too overburdened with stress, um, this can be a good thing. And they can teach children how to withstand um, changes in, you know, uh, schedule, for example, small children or, you know, wearing a mask or these kinds of things um, and can buffer those experiences building resilience. However, um, for many children where not only are they dealing with a pandemic, but their families are dealing with other sources of stress, like um, being worried about how they're going to pay their water bill or their rent, um, or not having consistent childcare and um, and having a work schedule that um, does not allow uh, for the needs of, of parents that don't have access to childcare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these can add additional layers, additional weights to that negative side of the scale, preventing the opportunity to build resilience. But when we think about offloading stress from families, we can think about if we, for instance, um, have uh, SNAP benefits or um, or temporary assistance for assistance for needy families, and and these kind of policy level um, efforts where we ensure that families have resources, then we can be pulling off those negative weights on the negative side of the scale um, and supporting the development of resilience even for our families that have those additional stressors. Um, so yeah, resilience is a um, it is a very dynamic thing, and early childhood represents a, a unique time where we have a profound influence on the way in which we can build resilience. But in thinking of it being like a scale, even if we miss these the opportunity in those earliest years um, to build resilience, there are other ways in which we can build it later on. In adolescence, we have another uh, sensitive period of development where we can shift that tipping point. And then just like a scale with any tipping point, um, even if we've missed the window to shift um, that fulcrum, we always have the opportunity to add positive weight to the side of the scale. It just may take more weight later on if we miss the opportunity now. Thank you so much for speaking to that, Jen. My last question I wanted to ask you is the best advice that you have for families or parents who are struggling just a little bit right now. What's the best advice you tell them? (sighs) Self-compassion. That is the best gift you can give yourself or your child. Um, We all, uh, every caregiver right now, whether you are a primary caregiver or an educator, um, an early childhood educator, we are all um, dealing with unprecedented personal and work demands right now. And, uh, you know, caring for children is already stressful, you know, we we care very deeply about their development. We want to be the best we can be. Um, and we, you know, I know that as a as a caregiver myself with my child being um in first grade on online school, I have these moments where I'm like, is she gonna learn to read, you know, or you know, is, is it gonna be okay? And the reality is is that yes, it's it's 
it's going to be okay. But the most important um, ingredient for ensuring that it's going to be okay is for me to, as best as possible, take care of myself, manage my own stress so that I can help co-regulate with her, or another way to say that would be help her manage her stress because um, young children um, and even our teens do not have all of the developmental capacity necessary to manage their own stress, manage their own emotions. They need that scaffolding and support from adults. And so I have to remember that the most important thing that my child could receive from me right now is not me stressing out about her sight words. It is me taking a breath, cuddling up with her, not worrying about everything being perfect, um, being um, safe, stable, and nurturing as much as possible. And so that means that I am having to do, um, to take more breaks myself than I would in a normal year. And I tell her that I say, you know what, mommy needs to take a little bit of a break um, because I need to take care of myself. Right. Um, And I don't, I, if I feel myself getting frustrated, that's what I go do. I don't feel guilty if I need to um, go take a a nice long shower or something like that, because I know that by giving myself, having that self-compassion, forgiving myself when I have a little misstep, that all of those things help me be a more attuned parent and will help me build resilience in my child. So forgive yourself and take care of yourself. That is my uh, number one advice, John Will. <laughs> Absolutely, Jen. And thank you so much for speaking from your personal experience as well. I'm sure there are, are many parents who are going to listen to this and just be like, yes, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Jen, appreciate you being a guest on Roots and Wings. Is there anything I did not ask that you want to make sure our listeners are thinking about or aware of? You know, I just have an ask for your listeners, and that is... Think about the way that you can support the children in your neighborhood, in your church, in your community, Um, whether it be all the way at that, you know, thinking about the kinds of policies that go on in your school um, or um, or you know, the dollars that are allocated by your city or your town, uh, all the way to, um, is there a family that I know that is in my community where I could do something, a little something of support? Um, Because not being in person makes it it, it more difficult for us to do that, but there are creative ways, you know, whether it's dropping off a little subway gift card, right. Um, or just writing a letter of encouragement and sticking it in somebody's mailbox. These are the kinds of things that help caregivers with their stress, support them, and then give them the capacity to support their children the way that they want to. So that's my, that's my ask of all your listeners. Absolutely, Jen. And that is a great call to action uh, for everyone who, who's listening to this. Uh, thank you again, Jen. Thank you so, so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings. And thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode of Roots and Wings. I'm John Paul Newland. <laughs>